Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, for purposes of this particular podcast, you can call me Rockmeister McCool. That's or if you see him in the street. Just say, hey, Rockmeister McCool, I'll probably respond. I can't imagine too many people are going to mm. turn their heads on that one. Like, you mm. see, like, two Rockmeister McCools turn their heads, mm. and then your eyes lock. <laughs> and you realize that no, you're you, meant to be. You and I are by no means uh, famous by any stretch of the imagination. No. But we've done enough, like, online stuff that we might be recognized. Yeah, I've been recognized once or twice. Okay, I was going to yeah. say, have you ever been stopped on the street? Once or twice. Okay. I was, uh... Um, once, once doesn't count. Which a couple times don't count because they were at film festivals, but there were people yeah. I didn't know. Okay. One time someone actually recognized me from my voice. Okay, cool. Which was very cool. Uh, and one time someone uh, recognized me. They were working at a Baskin Robbins and they recognized me from the Schmodown. Mm-hmm. And then one time I was going up an escalator and someone was going down an escalator and they recognized me from the Schmodown and say, hey, Mr. Beast. And I said, growl, growl. <laughs> nice. Yeah, very fun. nice. Yeah. yeah so it's, not, it's not common, but it happens. Mm-hmm. I was stopped by a clerk in a record store in Las Vegas. You mentioned this. Yeah, I've so mentioned cool. that before. But uh, yeah. hello, Zia Records in Las Vegas. Hello. Uh, hope you're doing okay. Woo. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, this is our letters podcast. People write us letters for some reason. Because they uh, want they want to hear they want to interact with us, and we're happy to interact with you. And we're happy to help give you a platform mm-hmm. and discuss topics of the day. Uh, whether you want to ask us questions or for recommendations, or you want to recommend stuff to us, or critique stuff we've talked about on our podcast, correct us if the occasion arises. We're happy to hear from you. If you want to email us, the email is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, that is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we don't like to waste too much time at the beginning of the episode. In fact, we've wasted more than usual. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Uh, Whitney, where's our first letter? Our first letter comes from Logan. Hi, Logan. Hello, Logan. Uh, greetings, Messrs. Bibbs and Rock. I hope you're both doing well and not despairing too deeply at the state of the world. Well... It's been a rough week. Yeah, it's been a rough everything. Uh, I have an issue that needs resolving. Uh Uh-oh. And as it so happens, Whitney is the only person who can resolve it for me. Oh, well, step up with what little superpowers I have. I'll just kick Uh, back and enjoy a nice cold lemonade. uh, I must confess, my heart breaks a tiny bit each time the subject of Breaking Bad comes up, and Whitney says that it's not something he'll... It's something he'll simply never get to. (laughs) It's probably true. Uh, This will not stand... (laughs) I'm determined to have one of my favorite critics watch and discuss at least one episode of my favorite television series. Therefore, I've made it my mission to commission a podcast to have the two of you watch and discuss the pilot episode. Right. Any tips on how to go about this? Uh, also, one more question. What is the longest amount of time you each spend binge-watching a series? Wishing you all the best. Sincerely, Logan. Uh, uh, I th- watched... This, this is a good way to advertise. Yes, uh, that's true. Uh, uh, on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash network. One of our perks is uh, at the $20 tier, you can commission a podcast of your choice. We're a bit behind on those. I had a series of tragedies over the course of the last two months that Mm. I'm not going to get into all the details of. Some of them I've talked about online. Some of them I have not. Uh, We fell behind, and it sucks. And we're going to get back on that. I'm trying to get back on that horse catch up on a few of these. Mm-hmm. However, we've had a lot of great You're Critically Acclaimed. Most of them have gone up uh, on the public feed. Um, they've been wonderful. And I, if you commission through the Patreon a podcast for Whitney to do, he has to do it, even if he doesn't want it. 
Those, those are the rules. Uh, I mean, I mean, within reason, yeah. obviously. Like, could you podcast while you're falling off a cliff with no parachute? No. no. There was uh, there was a time when uh, we we had a little bit more time, and uh, somebody commissioned me to watch. Uh, like entire seasons of television, Ugh. like just on the side. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have that we kind don't, of we don't, time. We can't commit but, to yeah. that, unfortunately. I wish we could. So I've, I've now seen, and these were our shows, it's like, oh, I'm never going to watch that. So, of course, you know, they say, oh, well, you're going to watch it now. Here's the first season of Buffy yeah, or the first Buff- season of Hannibal. Han- Hannibal and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I've seen the first season of those yeah. shows. Uh, and, I, and I wrote about them. You can find them on the critically acclaimed website. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want us to watch the, the pilot to Breaking Bad... Cool. That that's your prerogative. I'm down. Yeah, yeah. I can force them to do that. No, I've, I've, I haven't seen frame one of any any Breaking Bad. Uh, regarding your other question, which mm. is what what how was it phrased exactly in terms of like what's the most time we've ever spent binging something? Yeah. What what is uh, what is the longest amount of time we've each spent binge binge watching a series? Uh, do you mean four canceled too soon? Uh, well, we I do think, that a lot, yeah. but that's like a season. Yeah. Now, granted, the season for canceled too soon can sometimes be very long. But no, I've done more than that. Um, we're working on one that's that's pretty long right now. What what was the the um, that Canadian dimension hopping oh, TV series oh. like Charlie Jade? Was it Charlie Jade? Charlie Jade. That was uh, not was, only long, but it felt long. It felt really long. Yeah. I think that's the longest amount of time we've committed to a Cancel Too Soon series. We've had a longer series, more episodes. I think the longest series we've done so far is My Mother, the Car. That's true. There was like yeah. There's like, like thirty episodes. It was like about. 150. It felt really long. It felt really long. Mm. Um, but for fun, uh, probably the most binging I've ever done. I was unemployed for the better part of a year, and I decided to use that year to build up my film criticism resume. And fortunately, I was able to parlay that time into the career I have now. But there was a period of time where I had a lot of free time, mm. and I saw. Every season of The Shield <laughs> in a week. Oh my gosh. And I think it's like, what, six, seven seasons? Like, I got, I got through like there's, a there's season a, a day. I was doing like a season of The Shield a day. Let me tell you something. Depressing week. Is it a depressing show? It's it's, it's a cynical show. It's, okay. a, it's a dire show. It's not the most depressing show I've ever binged. The most depressing show i ever binged... Um, I was house sitting for my parents, and I was like, "Oh, I should bring like a show to watch," you know. Mm-hmm. Like, so I got all of Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is a show about depression. It's got giant robots and monsters, mm-hmm. but it's about depression, Those, and it is very the, confrontational about depression. The giant robots are depressed. Uh, no, the pilots are. Oh, okay. The pilots uh, they just hate their lives, and uh, well, mm-hmm. one of them doesn't. It's the protagonist, and uh, yeah, and that's what it is. The whole thing is this big giant metaphor for coping with depression, yeah. and. Um, boy, howdy, was that a real bummer. <laughs> boy, was that a mistake. I do not recommend doing that alone on a weekend. It's just a real <laughs> sad time. Good show, but yeah. oof, sad time. Uh, I fell out of Star Trek at one point. Mm. Like, I watched the uh, original series, Next Generation, was a big fan of those shows. Uh, but... Deep Space Nine and Voyager were running while I was in college, and when I went away to college, all of my hobbies vanished because mm. I'm out. Of, I'm in an out of state college. I don't have the time, the money, or the finance yeah. to uh, fund money and finance, both of those things, uh, to continue my habits. So you know, I, I stopped playing video games. I stopped collecting comic books. I stopped. The only thing I had really had money to do was to go to see movies. So that that was my one media habit that I could perpetuate. Right. 
but then years later, I thought, well, you know, it's about time. Why don't I just catch up? Why don't I collect all of Star Trek, the yeah. Deep Space Nine and the Voyagers that I missed, and just go through them all? And I did. I went through all, starting with Voyager, because I knew that was going to be the hardest one. Yeah. I went to, went to Voyager, then I went to Enterprise, because that was... Only four seasons, the second hardest one, and then I went back to Deep Space Nine and just sort of yeah, spent, the best for last. Spent a better part of like a year and a half going through all of those shows. I got through how many seasons with Deep Space Nine? Six or seven? Seven, seven seasons. Yeah, seven on Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. I believe it was the year that I was unemployed. Hmm. I got through all seven seasons of Deep Space Nine hmm. in a month. Good. <laughs> like, so, like, I mean, it's a pretty dense show. I suppose you could do that, but yeah. Well, oh no! Wait, wait. Was that when I had? Was that when I when I had knee surgery? <laughs> no, no. I pretty much only watched Hallmark when I was doing knee surgery. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, does Hallmark count as a TV binge? Because I spent three months doing nothing but watching Hallmark Christmas movies. I'd say that counts. When I had a when I had knee surgery and I was stuck on my couch. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, yeah. <laughs> They're not all happy stories. <laughs> um, listen, I love binge-watching TV. I love having the ability to and freedom mm-hmm. to binge-watch TV. We don't always have the time. Uh, but uh, kudos to everyone who enjoys it. Kudos to everyone who is able to just take whatever new show they're enjoying and just pound through it. Mm-hmm. There was a time when I could. It was glorious. Alas, no more. Right. Uh, here's a letter from James. Hi, James. Hello, James. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Whitney. First of all, as a longtime Patreon member, I have to just thank you again for all the work you put into each of the podcasts you do. Thank I you. do still miss the two-shot, where you paired a notoriously bad movie with a movie you liked. It was a good idea. We yeah. just didn't have a place for, uh, for it in our we, network. We, 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 if we could do all the podcasts that we wanted to do... We'd have time for literally nothing else. We, we wouldn't be Including sleeping. our families. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, so we, something had to go. We might come back to it someday. It caused me to watch a movie like Wake and Fright, which was paired with Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very weird type of feature. That was your idea. It was. Yeah, well, I mean, they're both, both man versus nature in Australia. Uh-huh. You know, they're, they're, they're similar. And bo- unpleasantness with kangaroos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, makes sense to me. No, it uh, worked. It was great. Which I think, uh, of Kangaroo Jack, I think I remember you guys saying that Kangaroo Jack was all that horrible, was all that horrible based on its recommendation. Anyway, I love all your shows and I uh, want to let you know that you keep me sane sometimes in this world that is just getting weirder by the day. Uh, now to my question. Yes. Uh, what do you think of a somewhat recent trend of how some creators, namely directors, but also writers, producers, etc., uh, because of whatever hor- uh, horrendous thing they did during the Me Too era, mm. or just as a reputation of being bad in general, uh, have now seen their art as somehow less than or should not perhaps be supported. Recently, it has come up with the likes of J.K. Rowling or someone like Clint Eastwood, who, because of their political views, people don't want to support their movies or at least give their a fair shake and dismiss what they did. I'm of the mind that free speech is free speech. And I've grown up being able to hear all sorts of different opinions and knowing for myself how to differentiate what is good and bad, but by no means say they should be erased. Hmm. I can I can watch a Harry Potter movie or read a book, love the art behind it, but when I hear what the author has said, I just feel I can disagree, but it, it doesn't diminish what I feel about the art. I feel... Uh, if we are erasing or trying to erase the opinions of people with vastly different views, we will never really learn how to differentiate and make informed decisions about uh, what they think or their art. Sorry for the long-winded question. Just wanted to see what you guys thought, James. Uh, thank you, James. Yeah. Uh, this is a conversation that's yeah, uh, it's active, and it's something that I think a lot of people are coming to 
you know, nuanced conclusions about. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's all or nothing. Um, first off, I want to make it clear that when we talk about, especially people who were uh, uh, who <laughs> committed crimes, committed yeah. crimes, yeah, committed, committed crimes. Uh, the conversation about whether or not their art should be continued to be uh, praised, disseminated, seen widely is, I think, of lesser significance than the victims and mm-hmm. what they went through. So uh, that right there is significant. But beyond that, if we must have this conversation, and, and I know it's on everyone's mind, uh. Free speech is incredibly important. I think we can all agree free speech is incredibly important. But free speech does not mean you have a free platform. No, uh, and in fact, and also that there's no consequences to the things you say. Yeah, uh, you can say something really awful and be pilloried for it, yeah. and that is not impinging on your free speech. Yeah, that is simply the social consequences of saying something horrible. And indeed, the social consequences are part of free speech. Mm. When someone like J.K. Rowling t- uh, reveals that she. Uh, is a turf. Is a turf. Hmm. Uh, uh, you know, it, uh, what, what is it? It's uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists. Thank you. Um, in which basically they deny the hmm. fundamental reality of trans people. Um, they're allowed to say that, and we're allowed to say that's really shitty, and I don't support that, and I'm so mad at you right now for saying something that I consider in this instance uh, really, really horrible. That I don't feel like supporting your work right now. Mm. I'm mad at you. That's allowed. Yeah, it's it's basically uh, uh, a, either a small or sometimes a a larger, if a lot of people agree to it, uh, form of protest. And it's basically yeah, just saying you- I disagree with what you're saying. Fuck you, and mm-hmm. uh, pass. Thank you. I'm, I'm not interested mm-hmm. right now. That may change. We may we may one day be able to disseminate their work mm-hmm. and appreciate it on other levels, but. In the case of someone who committed crimes, it goes beyond. I disagree with what they say, and yeah, it may that's go. Not a, that's not a viewpoint. That's no. yeah, yeah. That's that's not support, a viewpoint. Supporting the work of of a criminal is yeah. is a different conversation. And when you support their work to the extent that you pay for it, you have to ask yourself: Do I want to be contributing to their criminal defense fund? Mm-hmm. And that's a serious question. Yeah, that's a real yeah. question that people wrestle with. And I know a lot of people. Who have made their decision, and mm. I support that decision. I, I also, yeah, yeah I feel the I'm, same way. I'm not going to enforce anybody's decisions. Yeah. Uh, and if if I if I'm working at an outlet and they you know assign me a review of a Woody Allen film, mm. I'm going to have to review a Woody Allen film. You can say no uh, if you, if you I, really, really. I, I suppose like if it. if I had like so, uh, like a, a strong enough moral objection, then yes, I could say and no. It is, I'm not and it review is absolutely a, possible. Woody Allen film. And it's absolutely possible to review a Woody Allen film while maintaining your moral. Standards. Indeed, indeed, yeah. and and I, I feel like yeah. it's difficult. But the, there, part of the conversation is. Are, are we to discuss this person's work at all because that's keeping them in the conversation oh, and uh, putting the, their name in a newspaper is just going to harm other victims who just see that a perpetrator is mm-hmm. still getting a free pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's another uh, moral thing that we need to begin to balance uh, as as critics and as con- uh, as consumers of art there's also this sort of marshall McLuhan element where once you gain additional mm. information about an artist it only makes sense that it will tinge mm. your perception of their art yeah um it can be very difficult to watch a lot of woody allen movies mm. in which he seems to be telegraphing or just openly talking about the things that we realize are really really terrible yeah. that he has done and uh or or 
you know, in some cases is accused, whatever you want to do it. But like, I believe the victims, um, that can just make it hard to watch his films. Hmm. And that's reason. And that's real too. There is also a situation where the art can willfully, and I think you have to do this intentionally. I don't think, I think doing it just because is mm-hmm. possible, but maybe it's not the most responsible way to do it. You willfully separate the art from the artist. We, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who grew up with Harry Potter and Harry Potter and the assorted adventures meant a lot to people. And it means a lot to people who interpreted those texts as something that was incredibly positive and to find out that the author supports things that they radically mm-hmm. disagree with is extremely disappointing. We are actively taking it from her and saying, no, this means what it means to us. Yeah. And um, that's that's not about claiming proprietary. It's not like, you know, saying like George Lucas should be taken away from Star Wars. It's like, no, it's just if, if I don't like what George Lucas is doing with Star Wars, I'll, I'll, I'll like what I like. And I will say, like, I separate Harry mm-hmm. Potter from J.K. Rowling. Which is, well... Which it, and it's difficult. It's difficult because she's such a powerful part of that brand. That's true. I know uh, a lot... My I point think, is that I know a lot of people who are actively saying, I do not support J.K. Rowling. Yeah. But, but Harry Potter has meant you, a lot to me, and that's a part of me yeah, now. the positive lessons. Yeah. Um, and that's difficult to do. I understand uh, that's a difficult conversation. Orson Scott Card wrote yeah. a, a, a story that is about pacifism and mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. And it understanding. Is, it, it's, and, it's about yeah. understanding other cultures. It's about, it's very uh, stridently anti-war. Mm-hmm. It's about the militarization of youth. It's actually a, a very uh, morally forthright, complex piece of work. It's he's called a, Ender's Game. It's called Ender's Game. Yeah. They made a movie out of it. He's also a homophobic piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, he's a horrible man. And... Dave White put it best. He says he wants Orson Scott Card to read his own work. Yeah. To learn yeah. the lessons. Because he actually wrote a very morally good uh, piece of work. I agree. Yeah. It's it's and, really weird. Yeah. And, and yeah, this, this really whole... And, uh, this This wrestling with death of the author uh, thing is just something that's been going through culture a lot. And yeah. we, uh, as uh, in this generation specifically, who are so strongly associating our personal identities mm. with the media we consume, mm-hmm. is becoming uh, difficult for some people because they're realizing the people who, who made the art that they've made part of themselves are themselves horrible people. And that, that's really difficult. Mm. And it also doesn't, considering mm. a lot of the geek culture that we've had, there's a lot of cult of personality. There's a lot of yeah, cult of celebrity absolutely. where people who we now realize are not particularly good people, people who we would not you know, look to as heroes or moral paragons, still might have made a good thing. Mm. And i got to be honest here. I, I really, there are times when I can watch a movie that's someone like I don't know Kevin Spacey is in, mm. but I, but it's I've seen it so many times that even though I like I flinch when I see him, like I can still get through the movie Seven, mm. but Seven is tainted a bit because I just I have a negative visceral reaction to one of the people in it. Yeah, doesn't make does it make Seven a bad movie? No, but it makes it harder to watch it. Yeah, and. That's difficult, and that is real. And the idea of separating art from the artist is something that we do every single day. Every single day, we encounter art with no knowledge of who made it. Mm-hmm. We hear a song on the radio. We've never heard it before. I don't know what they're about. I see a painting. I have no idea who painted that. I read a book. I see the author's name, but I don't know anything about that author necessarily. 
And we can appreciate that art in a vacuum. But once you know what you know, that is information. Information affects everything else you know. It's all this complex miasma mm. of of thought. And um, yeah, as I, again, it's just, it's not cut and dry. Mm. It's complicated and it's weird. And it's something that we've been wrestling with for a long time. It's something we're going to continue to wrestle with. And it's something that people mm. are going to deal with on a case-by-case basis. But I don't think... It's right to particularly like judge people who are so grossed out or mad at individual mm. artists that they don't want to read their work and negate yeah. that. I think that's that's a valid reaction, and they're allowed to say, "Nah, I'm not interested yeah. anymore." That's yeah, fine. So somebody says, yeah, I, I "Voting can't, with your money," you know. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't watch those films anymore. Okay, that's fine. Somebody <laughs> says, "I don't mind. I'll watch those films." Well, that's your, also your choice. Yeah. Uh, uh, Hopefully, you're doing so in an informed manner and when thinking it, yeah, about it. And but, when it when it comes to somebody like Clint Eastwood, uh, who is uh, famously just very right leaning politically, that and, I don't and really his films who like who like rejects Clint Eastwood's films. I mean, some of them I'm, suck. So, like yeah, Jersey like, Boys is is terrible, but like <laughs> I, he's made bad movies. But Ch- I don't reject him because he's Republican. Ch- he's Ch- Changeling is a good movie, and then there's another hour of it. Um, oh, okay, I actually like Changeling. I like Changeling for it. Actually, Changeling um, is arguably maybe his last great movie. But um, oh, I, was, I also like Hereafter. I think I was made after. Changeling. I missed that one. I heard um, that was good. Okay, fair but yeah, we watch something like Sully. All of the politics of mm-hmm. it are like right there on the surface, and yeah. you can object to the politic uh, and still understand that he's. Uh, I didn't see. Um, Oh, Richard, Richard, Richard Jenkins. Richard not, Jewell. Richard Jewell. Not Richard, Richard Jewell is a movie. That's an interesting case where I actually, like, I'm watching this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with some of Eastwood's, like, particular uh, uh, perception of, like, the media or or whatever. But he did find a compelling story. He uh, an interesting character. Really well acted. And the only thing about the movie I objected to, even, like, beyond, like, messaging that I don't necessarily agree with, was ultimately what they were doing is they were complaining that the the media, the news, mm-hmm. will, once they, like, get wind of a potential story, they won't let it go, even if it's not 100% accurate, mm-hmm. because they're going after ratings. And to an extent, that's true. The problem is that he's, in that movie, arguing that the media lies in order to sell their stories. And in order to sell that story of the media lying being bad... He lied he, about a reporter. He lied about a real-life reporter. Mm. And, and and if you look it up, it's a real tragic story, actually. And that's intensely hypocritical. And that's another one where if you knew nothing mm. about the outside context, you might be able to look at Richard Jewell and go, Oh, that's reasonably well-made. A little heavy-handed. Mm. But that's reasonably well-made. And then you find out the context and you go, That's in poor taste. Yeah, yeah, that's legitimately impo- that's a well-made movie that is in very poor taste. Pass. Hmm. Yeah, but it's not because he's a Republican. It's just because that movie didn't work. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, hmm. we all draw our lines. We all make our decisions. Try to make hmm. informed decisions, and um, try to be try to be a good person. That's the best advice yeah. I can give anybody. Um, just. Try to be a good person. Always do the right thing. And, and don't necessarily define yourself by the media con- you consume. Yeah. Judge yourself by your behavior and, and how, how you feel about doing good things. Like, I, I, like, oh, I really liked this show or this movie. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out the director is a creep or the writer is a creep or a criminal or whatever. Um, oh, no. I lost, like, a thing I really liked purely. Mm-hmm. And now, at best, I can like it with reservations. Okay. Like, you kind of just have to go, okay. Like, it's, you don't have complete control over it. Mm. You don't. 
you, you don't have control over the information that you gain or anything else that happens to the art outside of your control. My best advice, don't get any tattoos <laughs> of pop culture stuff you have no control over and is contemporary. You don't, just don't, you never know. There are so many people our age with yeah. that little Blair Witch symbol somewhere yeah. on their bodies. At least that's so, like the, not. A, at least that in a, that that's at least fine. Like yeah. no, that at least hasn't been like ruined. It's just really retro now. Mm. But yeah, no, just seriously, don't get any tattoos or something contemporary because you no, do not know mm. what time and history and revelations are going to do to it. It's bad. Mm. Don't don't carve these things into your skin. Just enjoy them, love mm. them. Take what you want from them, and if the time comes one day to put them aside for other re- reasons, it's okay to do that. Yeah. Anyway, um, I hope that answers your question. It's a really difficult conversation. We tried to handle it as delicately as we could, um, but um, yeah. Uh, let's go to another letter. Yeah, uh, here's a letter from Tim. Hello, Tim. Hi, Tim. Uh, dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. Howdy, long-time listener, first-time writer. I hope this finds you well. (laughs) It finds us so well. Um, I was listening to your most recent letters podcast, and the subject of movie references came up. You discussed the experience of seeing a reference in TV, not really understanding it, but then seeing the reference in its original context and having an aha moment. Yeah. You also talked about how these references can still be fun, even if you don't understand the original context. I want to ask you about a phenomenon that has always fascinated me that relates to this topic. I've noticed... That some movies can become ubiquitous in our culture that anyone growing up in the modern day is very likely to know a twist ending of some films mm. before they ever see the film themselves. I can speak from experience here. The first time I ever learned who Luke Skywalker's true father was was not from watching The Empire Strikes Back, but from a Star Wars parody on the 2003 Nickelodeon TV movie Abracatastrophe. <laughs> Which, which was the first Fairly Odd Parents movie. All right, I thought it sounded I know familiar. That's, that's, okay, that's yeah. an animated series I've heard of. Yeah. Um, by this point, I was eight years old and had not seen any of the original Star Wars films. Another example, I recently showed my roommates the original Planet of the Apes for the first time. There you go. And to my dismay... They told me they already knew the big twist ending. This was not necessarily because they saw any specific reference, though I had seen many myself, mm-hmm. but because the twist is just simply well known. Yeah. Other films I think fall into this trap are films like The Wizard of Oz, Signs, and The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Are there other movies you can think of that are so ubiquitous in our culture that someone is more likely to know the ending to a movie uh, before they sit down to watch it? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on this phenomenon? I don't think it's either good or bad, but it still feels wrong somehow. Mm-hmm. Thanks for all you do. I joined Patreon just a month ago. I'm very oh. glad I did. Oh, thank you for thank joining. You uh, I'm absolutely loving your new, newer Holy Batman podcast. I especially enjoy those silly intro-outro scenarios you come up with for that podcast. The audio effects you add are super fun. Thank you. Uh, need to Yours back truly, that. Tim. I've been, yeah. been, been, been a little lazy on the SFX last couple of episodes. I'll have to get ambitious <laughs> next time. Um, so uh, this is a good point, actually. And it's actually something I encountered a lot when I was growing up. Um, some movies, hmm. and in particular their endings, we'll focus on that, are so iconic and so meaningful and so significant. And the movie is so popular when it comes out that they just become part of the conversation about yeah. it. We know... How Psycho ends. We know how Casablanca ends. That's been referenced a million times mm-hmm. in cartoons. Kids are guaranteed to see before they see Casablanca. Every single snippet of dialogue from Rick's final uh, speech to mm-hmm. Ilsa has been ripped off somewhere. Like it's yeah. a title of a TV episode. Yeah. We'll and always have Paris. The movie The uh, Usual Hel- Suspects. Hella Beans. That's yeah, in there. One you know? of The Usual Suspects. Yeah, that's, that's, from, Cas- mm-hmm. that's from Casablanca. Um, so it's weird. It, it's frankly, it's weird, and it is a little frustrating that as time goes on, 
it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to experience some of the, quote, all-time classics Hmm. the way that people would have experienced them the very first time, when they had no idea how Casablanca ended, when they had no idea what Rosebud was, when they had no idea the secret of Norman Bates' mother. I wish I could have been there. On the other hand, I get it now. Mm. You know, I get to see things like... I don't know, like get out for the first time and be wonderfully surprised by everything happening. I got to see in The Last Jedi, Ray find out that she didn't, you know, have her parents were nobodies. And then I got to see that rug fucking pulled away. <laughs> Still mad because that was an important moment to me as a fan, as a as a fan of art and film. Um, but so, uh, I think it's a little unavoidable. Well, That's my point. If, thing, if something makes a big impact on a culture, mm. it's difficult to avoid. Mm. The, the references because the people well, who are, are hearkening back to those moments in order to convey ideas and the feelings that those moments gave us, they're just going to do it. What are we supposed to do? Just not talk about Casablanca so that people will, if they ever see yeah. it without us talking about it, be surprised by how Humphrey Bogart solves the film's problems? I, I think railing against knowing the ending to a movie, though, is uh, very much rooted in a more recent phenomenon, and that's the whole spoiler culture thing. Don't wreck the ending, and needing a film to be sort of pure and untainted when you go in. That's that's uh, actually, that's not brand new. Like, it's not brand new, In the new, 50s, but... there were a lot of movies that would, like, say in the trailers, mm. whatever you do, do not spoil the ending of The Bad Seed, or The Maze, or Psycho. Like, that, that was like a marketing gimmick. It, it was a marketing gimmick, and it wasn't until Psycho came along that people were encouraged to see a movie from the start. People didn't use to see movies in chronological order. Or at least it wasn't the general uh, expectation yeah, there, that there you would. There weren't posted showtimes. You would go into a theater, and in the... the projector was just running yeah and there would be shorts and a newsreel and two features and you didn't know which one you'd be entering in on you might see Did they really not not even say the showtimes i thought they would at least not, give you the gist of it right no, not in a lot of theaters okay, so, yeah cool. and um yeah, my, my mom who was born in hmm. uh in 1950 tells me about this <laughs> my mom tells always used to tell me stories about how her father when he would take her to movies hmm. um he did not care about seeing a movie from beginning to end. In fact, mm. his theory was that the best way to see a movie was you see a movie mm. and you leave 20 minutes early to beat the traffic. So yeah. she missed the ending of Psycho. Ah, so there's actually a big <laughs> twist ending. Yeah. Um, she got to, to be surprised twice. However, why why is this something we're concerned about with movies? Well, movies are more recent. They're a little mm. bit more uh, vibrantly alive. They're close to us. Mm. When you go into a Shakespeare class... They don't hide the ending of Romeo and Juliet from you. True. They usually tell you the whole story up front, and then you start reading the play. And in fact, there's I, I remember reading a study long long ago about how knowing the ending to a film beforehand increases your enjoyment of it. It allows you to appreciate it a little bit more as a work. It, le- it lets you sort of see the machinations and also appreciate uh, the, the twists as you, as they are coming toward you because you can appreciate the way the story set it up or around this twist ending. If a film is reliant on a twist in order to be effective, mm-hmm. it's probably not a very well-written movie. Well, that's, my, that's the point I was going to make. First mm-hmm. thing I was just going to real quick aside to your point about how sometimes knowing the whole story before you see the film mm-hmm. can be a positive thing. Robert Zemeckis famously believed in this to the extent that back when he was I mean, still a big director but back when he was one of the biggest directors in the world like in mm-hmm. the 90s with like Forrest Gump and Roger and Rabbit, Contact yeah. and yeah he believed that audiences should see the whole movie in the trailer 
to okay. the extent that when he put out the movie Castaway, the trailer revealed whether or not Tom Hanks got off the island. Mm. And a lot of people were like, dude. I wanted what, that what, to be a surprise. I yeah. wanted that. I wanted not to know. And he was just like, no, I think people would be more satisfied if they knew ahead of time. And mm. like, uh, that's a choice. It's a bold choice. But mm. he, I, he, that was not like marketing got taken away from him. That was his belief that that was the right way to sell the movie. Okay. He made a lot of money. Who the hell knows? But still like the movie. But to, to your point, there's one thing to be said for wanting to see a movie and be surprised, whether it's just by the events that unfold or whether there's actually a twist that mm. reverses what we thought we knew about the narrative. There's something to be said for just wanting that sort of pure, unadulterated experience. And I get that. However, if you take the perspective that if you know what happens in a movie, if you know the ending or you mm. know the big plot stuff or you know Ray is the protagonist or whatever, that the movie is, and this is why we have the word spoiler, spoiled, mm-hmm ruined uh, then it's not a good film and I think the reason why it's not a good film is if imagine seeing a movie and then never wanting to see it again mm. doesn't sound like a good movie does it so <laughs> like oh I saw yeah I saw um, trying to think of an example I saw Fight Club okay I like Fight Club saw the twist though I never need to see that again I'm never mm. going to get that experience of seeing the twist again no, people still watch Fight Club. Mm. People still watch movies with twist endings. People still watch The Sixth Sense. People still watch Citizen Kane over and over again. Because if they're well told, mm. the twist or just knowing where the story goes allows us to appreciate how cleverly, intelligently, emotionally, honestly, the story got us there. Yeah. And that... I think is where the true pleasure lies is in the rewatch after you've seen the twist mm-hmm. so that you rewatching get out was like, Oh my God, <laughs> every line of dialogue, <laughs> every line of dialogue has three different meanings. It's so fucking brilliant. I love that screenplay so much. What an Academy Award. And, and it should have man. Cause that's a great one. And, but again, you know everything that happens, and then you watch it again, and it's it reveals more. Yeah, and it's exciting. Six Sense is the same way; so, it reveals uh, more. It's exciting. So this this uh, this being a little bit persnickety about you know knowing the ending to a movie or being uh, you know having them drift into the culture to the point where you can't watch them fresh anymore mm-hmm. is is a little bit of a moot point. I think we can still enjoy a good film even if we do know the ending. Hell, I remember and, uh, uh, and knowing the ending to Psycho, knowing the ending to Planet of the Apes mm-hmm. uh, isn't going to affect your viewing of it. And mm. unless unless you're the kind of person who only wants to see a twist ending. I, I've been, but here's the thing, though. And I think, again, we we do movie podcasts. And mm. a lot of people, I assume, who are listening to our podcast really love movies and are really fascinated by movies and watch a lot of movies. But that's not everyone's experience. Mm. I remember when the TV show Bates Motel came out. Not the one from the 80s that we did on Cancel Too Soon, but like <laughs> the, the popular one with Vera Farmiga and Freddie Highmore. Wait, they did another one? I thought it was just that... That pilot with Bud Court and Laurie Petty. Punch. <laughs> and a young uh, uh, James Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman was It was it. Jason Bateman. Yeah, all right. Punch. <laughs> uh, they did, I, actually, I actually thought they started like treading water after a while, but I really liked the first season mm-hmm. of that show. And I thought Vera Farmiga was amazing in it. But uh, that show is predicated on the audience knowing how Psycho ends. Yeah, that's from frame one. You know how Psycho mm. ends because it's clearly building to that. Well, that, that's, that's the whole point. Also, uh, if if you've never seen, if you don't know the twist about uh, the Empire Strikes Back, 
and you go back and watch, uh, you know, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yeah. That's all. It's just telling we're, you what happened. We're following following this little boy character because he's going to grow up and be Darth Vader. It's like, well, Darth Vader's not important to the story yeah, yet. I, it's like imagine watching these movies in like numerical order: one, two, three, four, five. You get through all of the downfall of Anakin Skywalker, and then you watch Episode Four. You meet Luke Skywalker, and instead of telling him everything that the audience knows that happened, Obi Wan just lies. <laughs> yeah, Darth Vader uh, killed your dad. Yeah, that's it. I didn't leave him to die in a volcano planet. Like, mm, why'd you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my point is this: when Bates Motel came out, that was the assumption everyone would know it. And then apparently, I was someone I knew. I'd like talked to someone at a bank mm-hmm. and they were wearing like a Bates Motel t-shirt because they got it from like a press tour or whatever. And the person said, oh, Bates Motel, that's, I've been watching that show. That's really, really good. And they talked about like, yeah, I can't wait to get to the point where the, you know, the twist happens and Norman Bates does the thing. And, and, uh, but they said it just right out loud. I'm like, that's what happens. And they're like, <laughs> sweetheart, you, you never saw Psycho? <laughs> oh my God. No. Oh, you were supposed to know that. <laughs> Oh, people don't necessarily know these things. Mm. That's what it boils down to. People don't necessarily know these things. So, you can't control it. The ending of Citizen Kane was ruined to me by an episode of the real Ghostbusters. Uh, It was ruined to me by uh, Julie Brown's song, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. I don't even it's, remember it's, that. It's, refer- it's referenced in one of the lyrics of that, that song. Lyric. That's amazing. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it happens. Uh, mm. But you know what? When I did see Citizen Kane... Best fucking movie ever. All right, let's move on. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, Great question, by the way. Here's a letter from Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCoo. Many O's. <laughs> uh, I was excited to learn that Whitney is a fan of They Might Be Giants. Hey, so yeah, am I. When I was 12, I fell in love with They Might Be Giants. Thanks, uh, to, thanks to uh, Tiny Toon Adventures. Well, he's going to say my introduction to the band was in an episode of Tiny Toons. Yay! Uh, TT Music Television. Julie Brown was in that as well. Yeah. <laughs> little little Julie Brown synergy. Uh, the song Particle Man and Istanbul were instantly stuck in my head. I purchased Flood. That's the record those songs are from. Amazing And record. Lincoln, the record that uh, preceded it, and was impressed at how great the rest of the songs were. Recently, Istanbul was used in The Umbrella Academy. That's oh, I heard about that. TV yeah. series on one of the streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. It filled, filled me with nostalgia from when I first heard them. I find it funny that one of my favorite bands was introduced to me by a kid's cartoon show. To that end, what band was introduced to you via a show or movie that you had never heard of before and, you made, and it made you search them out and explore their full discography? Have a great day, uh, Ben. They might be giants. And it's very is, specifically, is that, we all had that experience with Tiny Toon uh, Adventures. If, if, you if were, you're a certain age. If you're yeah, a certain yeah. age, if you don't remember, there was a show, first off, there was a show, it's not as well, like, it's not as popular now as Animaniacs is, but there was, before Animaniacs, there was a show okay. called Tiny Toon Adventures. Here, here, with, here's where I get canceled. It's better than Animaniacs. I don't explicitly agree with that, but when it was great, it was better when, than when it, when it was on, it was really on. It had pretty... Yeah. pretty it, had, it had some bad episodes. It had some bad episodes, but you yeah, know it what? It was hit or miss. When, when Animaniacs was low, it was really low. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Animaniacs <laughs> was not perfect either, but like I think I think overall in consistency, Animaniacs was a little better. But in any case, it, the whole thing was, it was like it was like Muppet Babies, but for a new generation of mm. cartoons. So yeah, there, there was, was a younger version of Daffy Duck called Plucky Duck. There mm. was a younger version of Porky Pig named Hampton. Uh, there was uh, there were two uh, Bugs Bunnies, one a male rabbit named Buster, and another a completely <laughs> amazing cartoon creation named Babs. 
who seriously is one of the great cartoon characters, and it bothers me that she's not more properly canonized. I, I do like that uh, Babs and Buster, like, they were Bugs Bunny clones. Mm. And one was blue and one was pink. Yeah. And they were, like, hip-talking 90s kids. But they had distinct personalities, and they actually played off of each other very well. Very distinct. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Um, and, yeah, they did an episode, just randomly, where it was a parody of MTV, which back at the, back at the time actually played music videos. And they're like, well, what music videos do we do? And they decided to use this band, which was not super popular at the time. No, they they were pretty well known. They were pretty like well the, known, the but, way, like, but they weren't Michael Jackson. Thing. They weren't, well, you know, they weren't not. huge. Uh, and, and certainly they were able mm. to introduce them to a lot of kids called They Might Be Giants. If you're unfamiliar with the band, they're like halfway between an awesome new wave band and a novelty band. Like they'll they, do like funny mm. songs, but the songs also kick ass. And they're yeah, really, they, really catchy and, and amusing. Uh, their, their first couple of records were placed alongside, you know, like Devo. Like yeah. that, like the yeah. sort of post-punk new wave kind of crowd. Uh, I don't think they've ever described, like, the genre they play in. Yeah. They're just a rock band uh, with a few strange instruments and mm. run by these two peculiar dudes who are both named John. Yeah. Uh, uh they have always bristled at the idea that they're a novelty band. They kind of hate that idea. They're not a novelty band, but they definitely have the appeal of a novelty band. Mm. If you like Weird Al Yankovic, you would almost definitely like They Might Be Giants. Mm. Not that they do the same thing. Um, and th- their lyrics are very, very clever and very eccentric, and I love them to pieces. And all of the songs that they used on this Tiny Toon Adventures MTV parody were from They Might Be Giants' more recent album at the time, Flood. Amazing album. Uh, it's such a good record. Uh, my friends and I referred to something that we called Flood Syndrome. Mm. That's in that you listen to Flood and you love it, so you want to go get other They Might Be Giants records, and you might want to go forward, and you get John Henry, and you're like, oh, oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm mostly looking for more Flood, please. Yeah, more Flood. More flood. Okay, let, let's... What's, <laughs> is there a factory showroom? Oh, this is not good as Flood, as, as good as flood either. John Henry, not going to defend. Factory showroom, good record. Okay. Uh, their first record, Lincoln and Apollo 18, also very good records. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you're not going to have the same high that you got yeah. when you listen to Flood. So whenever you go to another artist's work and you're just roundly disappointed, we call that Flood Syndrome. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but in any case, yeah, a lot of kids found They Might Be Giants through this Tiny Toon Adventures episode. Great episode. A lot of funny bits in it. Mm. And uh, I, Flood was one of the most played cassettes in my whole uh, <laughs> uh, collection. Mm. I'm trying to think of some of the other things. I think I was introduced to the Beach Boys through the Muppets version of Kokomo. Oh, golly. Okay. Yeah, Kokomo was a song the Beach Boys did for the soundtrack to the Tom Cruise movie Cocktail. <laughs> uh, the movie is stupid. The song is great. That's a great catchy mm. song. It's really, really fun. Really just makes you want to just have like a drink with a parasol in it by a, by a beach at night. And it's delightful. Uh, but the... And wasn't the, the shtick with Kokomo was I think it was the first one that was completely out of the auspices of Brian Wilson? I actually don't know. Yeah. But in any case, that was my introduction to the Beach Boys. I, I have and to then, dig, dig a little deeper. And I then around there, true. I also discovered uh, them through the opening song to Troop Beverly Hills, which is one of my favorite comedies of the era. <laughs> uh, and in fact, that song was actually the song, uh, make, it's called Make It Big. Hmm. And it's from one of their later albums. And that's the song that we played at my wedding after You May Kiss the Bride and we like walked triumphantly out of the hmm. chapel. We did, you can make it big, bam, 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 bam. 
specifically because you're a fan of True Beverly Hills. We both are fans of True Beverly. That was that was a mutual decision. I want to make that abundantly clear. That was not all me. There was not a single decision on that wedding. That was all me. Those were all agreed upon. We uh, when when my wife and I got married, we asked we were having a conversation with the organist who was going to play our our. the postlude, you know, mm-hmm. as as we walk out of the the chapel, and uh, we asked if he knew any pop songs. It's like because we have you know this big church organ, but we have this organist; he can play whatever we want. I asked, uh, do you know anything like maybe by the Beatles? Well, I'm a, my wife's a big fan of REM. Yeah. Uh, we asked, you know, what, what do you what do you know like that could actually be like a little hip as we could sort of saunter out after being married. And and we've taken this with us. This this guy who's you know in his early sixties mm. just sort of turned around on the organ and says, "You kids like Steely Dan? <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with the classical piece." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that kind of became a go-to for us. <laughs> kids like Steely Dan. Oh God, that's amazing. Um, oh, I'm tra- having trouble of thinking like because hmm. I I didn't listen to the radio a lot when I was a kid. Actually, oh, yeah. we talking about what yeah, you saw well, something yeah, in a movie. I watched and you a lot of, t- a lot of TV. Yeah. I saw some movies as a kid. I watched played a lot of video hmm. games. So that that's where I sort of absorbed a lot of hmm. yeah, the music I, I got. A band I really got into thanks to a video game hmm. was The Giant. Oh uh, yeah, which was a bonus track on one of the Guitar Hero games. Yep. Uh, there's this. Uh, girl punk band from Boston or from all, excuse me, from Alston, Massachusetts. Ah. And they, uh, one of them worked for the company that was helping to make, uh, guitar hero. Yeah. It's like harmonics or whatever. It that was, was it was originally harmonics. Okay. I think it was originally harmonics. And, uh, and she had her own band. So one of the tracks of a giant great band name, by the way, especially oh, yeah. for a girl punk band. Uh, and I was like, I, I like this one song. It's called FTK. Yeah. It was cool. well, on, on the original, uh, record, it, I think it's called, they sing Wreck the Kells. It's Fuck the Kells. Yeah. And the Kells is like a frat bar in Alston, Massachusetts. It's really specific. <laughs> Somehow it made it on this nationwide release. That's hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I ended up getting their record. I really, really liked them. I followed them for the three records they released. Had to order them straight from the band. Nice. Each one was released under a different band name. <laughs> It was Vagiant. It turns out there was some other uh, artist called Vagiant, so they had to change their name to Vagiant Boston. <laughs> And that wasn't good enough, so they ended up changing their name to Tijuana Sweetheart. Uh, it's not as good. It's still well, cool though. Well, Tijuana Sweetheart is a, is a slang term for a sex worker. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad one. I'm just saying Vagiant is a powerful name. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Will you walk into a room and say my band's name is Vagiant? People will be like, oh, yeah. hello. <laughs> but yeah, I <laughs> like, never, never would have heard a, of a, uh, a hell of a name. Oh, never would have heard of Vagiant if I didn't get into yeah. Guitar Hero Two. Yeah. And that's actually something we don't talk about enough. The mm. the idea of like soundtrack choices. Mm. Not only do they are they supposed to serve the film. Mm. And there's a lot of movies I found actually that don't even think about what pop songs are going to be on the soundtrack until just before they come out so they can just have whatever's contemporary and popular. Mm. Bad way to do it. Cuz you don't know what's going to be contemporary and popular, you don't know if it's going to suit the film. But if you plan the songs in advance mm. and you know the tone you're going for you can do some wonderful things think about how many people like young people were probably introduced to a ton of 70s rock due to Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 that's true yeah, yeah those are good that was a best selling album and it was all 
a greatest hits yes. compilation. Seventies greatest yeah. hits stuff. Yeah, it's a great collection. It's, um, I, I like that album. It of, works. It tells a story. But like, I've seen a, I, I saw a movie called Reservoir Dogs, so I wasn't so impressed with <laughs> Guardians well, of the okay, Galaxy. Okay, fine. But you, but that again, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy is like twenty years later. There's a whole new generation of kids yeah. who are going to see this stuff for the first time. You, we can't control what people see for the first time. Just, just thirty years later, because Reservoir Dogs was ninety two. Yeah, and Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy was like twenty thirteen. Like, it was like ninety two. No, that's twenty. Oh, 20 yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah. But that's still that's that's a whole generation in pop terms, arguably more than that. And there's a lot of people who just they're they're gonna get their exposure to various forms of pop culture, especially older forms of pop mm. culture, are gonna vary. There are probably people who discovered stuff about the eighties through Stranger Things. Mm. I remember watching I I didn't bother seeing the rest of the Stranger Things. I saw the first season and I was like I, I watched movies in the eighties. I get it. But there's a lot of people who only know the 80s like as a sense of it like mm. to kids today or younger people today watching stranger things was probably a lot like watching back to the future when i was a kid in the 80s going the 50s. the 50s yeah yeah it's probably about what it was like like no it's actually not it's this <laughs> total cartoon version that's just all mm. the big beats in one mm. place and that's very fun but it's not necessarily accurate and I'm watching Stranger Things and I'm like alright I get it yeah okay fair enough yeah I, my parents are right to sort of wince a little bit at Back to the Future once or twice I'm waiting for that to happen to like 1996 it'll happen yeah it, it'll it happen will, it it's will. getting there I'm starting think... to see a bit more 90s nostalgia yeah. uh, in various things now yeah yeah and, and they're not mixing it up with eighties nostalgia, which no, they, it's, they were doing it's, it's for the longest time. Eighties was a eighties was a hell of a decade for pop culture. There was a lot of exciting and distinctive music, well, movies, TV. Com- all- commercialization was running amok, yeah. so a lot of a lot was reaching more people. In a, but also there was a lot of media in the commercial you know, marketplace. But also there was a lot more media being made for younger audiences, catering to the stuff mm-hmm. that is popular now, like sci fi, fantasy, and action, mm-hmm. and, like, and as a result, older kids, younger teens, like yeah. they became a, a niche. Market. And as a result, that stuff tends to port over a little better to future generations. So it makes sense that people really glommed onto it. But we've pretty much strip-minded for all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to move on more into the 90s. And I look forward to seeing what people do with that. Anyway, mm. moving on. Uh, here's a letter from Cecil. Oh, hi, Cecil. Let me hear from Cecil. Um, yeah. uh, Soul, the Pixar movie, yeah. is leaving the theatrical market and is moving to Disney+. Plus. It's going to be a Christmas Day release oh, on that Disney+. Plus. That's I heard a rumor. Didn't know that was official. This okay. means there is no big movie scheduled for theaters. Uh, there, are rumor, there have been uh, rumors for a few years that Disney has wanted to do this for ages. Uh, and indeed, because of a news story uh, just the Yesterday or the day before, just before recording, uh, this yeah, just before we recorded this episode, Disney announced that they're they're pivoting to Disney Plus. Yeah, like that's they're going to be going to be their focus. I'm sure um, once theaters finally open up, they'll still put out some big Marvel movies as well. Uh, but their focus is going to be Disney Plus. <laughs> you think theaters are coming back? Um, I'm just saying, if that's are, a thing, yeah. if that's a thing, if theaters are still yeah. available but, for them to put movies out, I'm sure they'll try. Uh, Cecil says, "Do you guys think that even if theaters open and get back to the uh, back to?" normal that Disney will bother putting their movies in cinemas. Is this going to be a better model for them if they do? Uh, if they do, what else is there? Cecil, uh, this is mm. actually something I've been thinking about a lot. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people in our on our line have been thinking about a lot. Yeah, and it seemed like it was inevitable, mm. but COVID accelerated this. COVID yeah. probably cut about 
10 years off of yeah, well, the slower trajectory of this. Uh, you and I always said, uh, leading up to, to COVID, that all it would take really is one really rotten summer. If, yeah, if a right, lot, yeah. if a lot of uh, you know big studio films that cost you know half a billion dollars to make mm-hmm. and release, and if all of uh, and them all, tanked and, yeah, for like and, and three a, months, a bunch of them tanked for about three months, then it would it, everything would crumble. Yeah, and you know what? That happened. You know, I we wasn't had, even uh, thinking of it in those terms, but you're right. That's exactly that's what exactly what happened. Yeah, we we're had geniuses. One, we had one rotten summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks to COVID, uh, these big, mm-hmm. really expensive movies could not be released in yeah. theaters, and now there are all these studios that have rethinking. all of these no. giant movies that are in the can, and they can't make money off of them. Yeah, yeah. they so, were designed to make money. We they can't do jack shit with them, so they got to do something mm-hmm. with it. And they're at the point now where it's taking so long. To get even things vaguely up and running again to the point where it's even worth it to release a movie in a theater that they're all resorting to plan B. Yeah, yeah. And plan B is is streaming. Is there streaming service? No. um, Three things have happened that are – that I think are permanent. Mm. Uh, First of all, Regal has announced they're closing for the rest of the year. You think that? Uh, you think they're never going to open up again? I, I think they're. If, if they do, it's going to be in a much different way. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of the theaters that they're closing are going to stay closed. If some reopen, mm. it'll only be in certain cities, yeah. and it might be at a limited capacity. Mm. It's not going to be the, the way it was. If you're not familiar, uh, Regal is one of the bigger movie chains. The big, yeah. I think Regal and AMC are the two biggest. Okay. And uh, and I feel yeah, like there's one more I'm forgetting, but it's more like East Coast. But anyway, yeah. Um, secondly. Uh, Disney said they're focusing on Disney Plus because yeah. they see the writing on the wall. They do. They understand that they're not going to be able to make uh, half billion dollar movies anymore. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to get those half billion dollar opening weekends anymore. Yep. And so, and this is actually why they decided to pour all of this money into Fox. They knew that streaming was the future. Yeah. And so they're they're just bulking up their library, understanding that people are going to going to be staying mm-hmm. home and getting all of their entertainment at home. Bulking up their uh, library and also bulking up the franchises that they own so that they will have mm-hmm. more things to attract people to mm-hmm. streaming services that are comfortable. And the third thing is the uh, the squelching of the vertical integration laws. Uh, yeah. The ending of the Paramount Accords, which would allow big businesses to buy theater chains, which was previously illegal. It was legal back in the 40s. They made some laws making sure that uh, a, a single studio couldn't afford every bit of a film's distribution model. Yeah. They and can't control the whole the they, whole yeah, they, they had to go to a theater owner who actually was an independent business that could negotiate. Yeah. Because on, that, otherwise that was a monopoly yeah. and that was considered bad. And uh, indeed, so, once studios started getting their own streaming services and becoming their own distributors and their own exclusive distributors, I was surprised. Surprised, no one was the, trying to apply yeah. that law and say they can't do yeah, more, that. Like Hulu or Netflix, were, people weren't crying foul as much yeah. as perhaps they should have. And been. it turns out they were probably this whole time trying to squelch the Paramount decision so that yeah. it wouldn't be relevant anymore. And, and now yeah. the Paramount decision has been squelched. So yeah. what we're looking at uh, when theaters reopen is uh, fewer. A lot fewer. In lot fact, fewer. Uh, what we're going to see is studios are going to buy their own like single movie palaces mm. in a certain in just a few cities. I would be. I There's, think that's very very there, likely. There are going to be many cities across America that simply won't have movie theaters. Yep. Uh, and they're going to show nothing but like maybe six films a year, mm-hmm. and those are they're going to be their big blockbusters. Yeah. They might do revival stuff yeah. of their big popular things mm-hmm. because why not? It doesn't cost yeah. them it, any money to imagine, put it out there. Imagine if every theater is the El Capitan in Hollywood, which is owned already yeah. owned by Disney, 
and take, they take, did do all of their big premieres. Take there. take your uh, and again, they're not going to rely on this. This is all our theory, of course, mm. but they're not going to rely on this for the majority of their money. But it will give it marquee status. It will make it feel like an mm. event, and some people do still like it, and they do want to cater to that. So I suspect. Disney is going to buy up Regal or AMC or one of these. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They're going to probably shut down most of their theaters. And they're going to keep some of the big ones open. And it's going to be like an eight-screen multiplex in the middle of downtown LA or New York City or whatever. And, yeah, like in, in the summer, like we were supposed to have, there would be like three screenings showing Black Widow, mm-hmm. two screenings showing uh, three screenings showing Soul, and like... Avatar, two screenings showing whatever like, Avatar is coming yeah, out whatever there. Avatar is coming out or some other like maybe they'll do like one theater that's just you know hey come see the Lion King or whatever mm-hmm. again like you know it's like the old retro like a ride yeah um, it's it's they're gonna look a lot more like a theme park attraction mm-hmm. they're gonna be a theme park attraction they're gonna be themed and, and here's the thing you're going to spend hundreds of dollars to see a movie. It's going to become a... It's going to be like a theme park. It's yeah. going to be an event. It's going to be a family outing. Mm. And the thing is, it already costs that much, really, if you were taking the whole family going. If you had, like, multiple yeah, kids, so, it's expensive to go see a movie. So, if, if, so uh, it's really not that big a move. What you're getting, though, is a more entertainment for your children at that theater. Mm. I suspect that's yeah. what they're going to uh, do. And beyond that, we're going to see little tiny independent black boxes showing really daring art that nobody's going to talk about. Here's here's what I here's one thing that you're not mentioning that I mm. do think is likely to occur. Uh-huh. We're seeing as a result of the pandemic a lot of businesses going under, and that's terrible. Mm. We're seeing a lot of empty space. I would not be surprised if we saw a small, not maybe not a huge, mm. but a meaningful increase in drive-in theaters. Maybe not in LA because real estate's too valuable. Yeah, exactly. But I think, but, when, I think, uh, yeah, I think smaller may, places maybe that, so. Maybe because, like, because you get that experience of a movie, but you get more control over your environment. There's something kind of fun about it. And I think this year people have started. I, I went to a drive in theater once. It was great. I really I, had I a love, good time. I love drive in theaters. They're so. wonderful. It's, it's like an hour drive for us, so it's not convenient. But like we, we went for a date night. It was delightful. Mm-hmm. And they're fun. And there's. You have again. You have a lot of control over it. You can bring the whole family. Oftentimes, it's only like one ticket price for the whole car. Like it's pretty good, and that's probably a great way to do it. I would not be surprised if we see a few more of those now that people saw just how drive-ins kind of anchored the theatrical distribution market mm-hmm. this year, and they were like surprising. They went from being this retro thing that nobody cares about to being the only game in town, and people like them. So I would not be surprised if that if that happens. Um, the other the other consequence I think we're going to see. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I hope that there is a resurgence of drive-ins across the country. I wouldn't. I think there's a lot of parking lots out there that could be adapted just to like on the weekends or something. Mm-hmm. Like there's a million things you could do. The thing that I think we're going to see though is that it's not going to be as simple as. Disney is going to put all their stuff, the same stuff they were going to make always on Disney+. Plus. Universal is going to put all the movies they were normally going to make onto Peacock. I think that's theirs or whatever. If you can't make a billion dollars at the box office, you're not going to spend $500 million making it. No, no. There's no and, way. We're going to start fact, seeing um, cheaper movies. Uh, in fact, I've, I've been reading headlines about like the, the next superhero wave, like yeah. the, next, the next wave of, of Avengers movies. Yeah. And... How they're talking about getting actors from like all the different versions of like the Spider-Man universe yeah. and putting them all in the same movie. Yeah. Guess what? That's a cheaper way to get people's attention 
than Spending a, a thirty-minute CGI fight sequence. I'm, not, I'm sure. I'm sure Tobey Maguire is going to ask for some meaningful money, and but, he should get it. But, but less not, than yeah. paying five hundred Indian special yeah. effects artists to come up with some big CGI mess. Yeah, and, and listen, he's probably not going to be in the movie the whole time. He'll probably not mm. make twenty million off of it, but it'd still be worth the investment, and the novelty would get you there. Mm. Um, so I think, and actually, I actually think that's probably a good thing. I think movies have gotten so expensive. On one hand, it's great. People work. Like when Michael Bay makes a movie, even if it sucks, people work. Yeah. And that's a positive thing. That's well, a but, good benefit there. Like, until but it doesn't necessarily learning, make the movie any better. Until you learn about the underbidding wars about special oh. effects houses oh, overseas. Special yeah. effects houses get screwed <laughs> yeah. over. All those poor people who, mm. who work their butts off to try to make Sonic the Hedgehog look exactly the way studio wanted it. Release the trailer. Everyone's mad. All those people have to work three times as hard mm. to race to change the entire movie so that people like it. People liked it, and then they all got laid off. Yeah. yeah That's that, a thing. That, that That's happens. fucked up. There's, there's they worked so hard for you. I understand in India, there's a lot of digital mm-hmm. special effects houses that are underbidding one another yeah. for the privilege of working on like an Avengers movie. Yeah. Just because they they say they could do it faster and for cheaper, so the and it's my understanding that there's cheapest. It's my understanding that VFX are not as covered by unions as animation is. It's one of mm-hmm. the reasons why The Lion King wasn't being pushed as an animated movie; it was being pushed as a visual effects movie. So that the animators could be called visual effects artists and get paid less. Mm. <laughs> Disney is fucking corrupt, by there's the way. Some real, there's some real <laughs> fucked up shit going on in the industry. Anyway, long and short of it is, if theaters come back, and I think to some extent they will. Mm. It will be very different. It will be a very different landscape. And we're all just going to have to get used to the idea of seeing way more of our media at home, which we, a lot of us were doing anyway. Yeah. It's, it was I love the theater. I look at the yeah. theater with reverence. I have so many wonderful memories of a theater. I hope I never have to give it up entirely forever. Mm-hmm. That would suck. And I think there will always be at least some place for it, although maybe in a niche market. But yeah, the whole paradigm has shifted. And I think it would have happened anyway. But you're you're right. All it took was one bad summer. Mm. That's it. One awful mm. summer in which even Tenet couldn't make a dent. And boom, mm. here we are. Yeah. Done. And and it, and you know, people say, oh, the idea that Tenet was going to save the summer was a churlish notion to begin with. It was. It was frankly, I'm going to use the word mm. egotistical, maybe even egomaniacal, <laughs> to think that people would just be mm. so eager to see whatever Christopher Nolan got, and the trailers were vague. Mm. That that was going to be the thing that saved the summer. Like, I'm not saying anything could have or should have. Because I think it would have been irresponsible to drive people to theaters in droves. But if anything was going to do it, it probably would have been something like... Mulan, one, maybe. No, yeah. no, not even Mulan. No, Mulan. No. no, I don't think Mulan would have done it. I think it would have been. A, I think it would have been one of the big superhero movies. No, Black uh, Widow. That Black, Black Widow's Widow, done. Fast and Furious. Oh, might and have Fast done and it. Furious would have done. Might, it, yeah. might have done it. I think those are probably the, the two. Yeah, Black may, Widow and maybe Fast Wonder and Woman. Like those are the the three. Those mm. three could have done it. I'm glad. Anyway, I'm glad they didn't because mm. again, I don't want everybody getting the plague. Mm. Uh, when Tenet or the New Mutants or mm. Wonder Woman, you know, finally comes out on whatever home streaming service they're mm-hmm. eventually going to come out on, yeah, uh, that's when I'll review them mm. when it's when it's safe. I, I came, or, or if I can find time to go to a drive. I, I came this close like a week ago, no, two weeks ago, mm. to going to see New Mutants at a drive-in just because. Yeah, we were desperate to get out of the house. We needed to do something, and we came this close. And then uh, someone rear-ended our car. <laughs> GD. <laughs> it's been real rough. Yeah. It's been real rough lately, you guys. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Uh...
<laughs> May things improve, sir. Please. Um, right, but yeah, that's that's what's been going on, and that's yeah. what I that's my prediction is that uh, things yeah. are are have already changed, and we're just sort of reluctant to uh, acknowledge just well, how dramatic a lot of these changes are going to be. Change is scary. Yeah. Change is scary, and it requires a lot of adjustment, and adjustment is uncomfortable. Yeah. However, I'm, once we're adjusted, we tend to move on pretty easily. I, I deeply value the theatrical experience. Same. It's something I, I spent my teen years doing. It's something I really, really adore. But I'm also a child of video stores, so I am a little ambivalent. Uh, I, I think... I think, you know, you don't need to see Casablanca on a big screen to understand that Casablanca is a great movie. I saw it on VHS for the first time. It'd make it a, a worse film. True. I do think that there's something rarefied mm. and special and amazing about seeing a movie, not just in a theater, not just the size of the screen, mm. but with a crowd. In, in where public you, with other people. Where you're yeah. all experiencing the same art at the same time. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, movies that have giant twists. Like, imagine... Finding out the ending of Psycho in a theater full of people. <laughs> like, how incredible mm. it must have been. Like, oh my god! Like, that must have been astounding. And I've had that a few times. I've seen big movies in theaters and have people go, oh my god. And mm. it was great. I saw Sixth Sense. I remember people going, what the shit? Like, it was huge. Mm. And that's not something you're going to get when you're watching it at home. You might have a couple of people at home, but you're not going to get that giant crowd of people coming to a realization or crying at the same time or jumping in their seats at the same time. That is different. Yeah. And that is special. And I love that. And but you're right. It doesn't make or break a movie. It shouldn't make or break a movie. And as much as I wish on some level that we could keep the paradigm more or less as is, it's too late for that. It's, yeah. It's, 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 it's already, oh, it's pretty it's much already shifted. Gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, one last letter? Yeah, the woman. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Dr. Human Sadri. Hello. Hello, doctor. Uh, dear Bibbs and Whitney, I just wanted to drop you a quick line about your Joseph Campbell edition of episode zero. Oh, okay. It's so most recent episode. Um, I recently completed my PhD. Oh, on the topic of the continued relevance of the monomyth or hero's journey in modern texts and text types. Oh. So the subject remains interesting to me. Oh, uh, you should thing, have been on the podcast. Yeah, seriously. You're, you're probably, probably way more, way more expertise than us. Than us. <laughs> yeah, one, one thing that's worth pointing out, though, while Star Wars bears some responsibility for the resurgence of Campbell's pattern over the last few decades, it is somewhat inadvertent. There is an argument mm. su- to suggest that the real culprit is a script doctor and writer called Christopher Vogler, whose book, The Writer's Journey, mm. essentially lays the monomyth out as a blueprint for script writers. Yeah. In other words, it no longer occurs naturally within a script as it, um, as much as it is a framework upon which a spectacle is hung. This makes it harder to examine the pattern, of course. Yeah, yeah we, we talked we, about this a little bit we, when we I mentioned that, the, Blake Snyder's Save the Blake, Cat. Yeah, we, we talked about yeah. Blake Snyder, but yeah, I've heard about uh, the writer's journey and mm. Yeah. Should have brought that up. Uh, yes. Uh, Thank you for, for bringing that up. Yeah. Uh, on a separate note, as a new patron, I have been working my way through your back catalog and I've just finished listening to Out of Gas. As a huge fan of Firefly, I have to say that I seldom disagree more vociferously with Whitney, <laughs> especially on the topics of Mal and River, though, like Bibbs, do accept that the show has its issues. Yeah. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Mal and River. Get, just write them well, off the show. For those, who, for those <laughs> who may be new to the show, uh, for. What was it like about half a year or so? We were doing a podcast dedicated to Firefly. It was a perk. We said if we got 250 subscribers to our Patreon, which we never thought we'd get, no, not a million years. I thought that was a pipe dream, but we got it. And so we said if we did that, we'd do a podcast with one episode dedicated to every single episode of Firefly, including the movie. And so we did that. And enough time had passed since I had seen Firefly. Whitney had never really seen Firefly, he'd seen the movie, but he wasn't super familiar with it. 
that we noticed things that we didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. And as much as that series was kind of trailblazing, as much as people really love it, parts of it really don't work. Yeah. Now, if they ever did. So mm-hmm. uh, it was an interesting journey. And the, the part that's aged the most, well, it, first the sexism. Uh, uh, yeah, the, there's a lot more of it than that, most that, people remember. That's, that's never timely. And, yeah. uh, and that really shitty early 2000s digital photography looks awful it always did but it, it just aged what can you do it's yeah, the time yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, on that note i would be very interested to hear your takes on dollhouse an even more oh, yeah. flawed and problematic whedon show albeit one that lasted two seasons and therefore doesn't qualify for consideration for cancel too soon yeah i don't know if either of you has ever watched this show in the past but whether uh whether or not you have a 2020 take on it would be a very interesting indeed uh, in any case thank you very much for all you do yours sincerely dr human sadri okay dollhouse uh have you seen dollhouse uh, not not for okay. one. I remember seeing Dollhouse when it came on. Uh, it was at a time when everything Joss Whedon did was a critically acclaimed and b doomed to failure. And uh, like if it wasn't Buffy or Angel, it didn't get more than two seasons, and two seasons was lucky. Um, were, were there ever like Joss Whedon pilots or ideas that people know about that just never got made? I want to say yes, I, but I, know I don't about, think they... I know about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Yeah. I know about Firefly, because I've seen it all now. Yeah, and of course and, Dollhouse. And then and Dollhouse. Was there, like, some lost <sighs> not Joss famous. Whedon project? I mean, I'm sure he's worked on a ton of stuff, mm. but and like I, I think he did, like, a thriller or something about mm. psychic, whatever. And, I know there's a, but, that musical thing he did. I saw that. Um, the the Buffy thing? No, oh, no, Dr. Horrible Sing-Along Dr. Horrible Sing-Along Dr. Yeah, that's, 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 that's okay, but... Um, no, he's not like, he doesn't have like a ton of fail projects. Usually people would at least give him a try and usually mm. they failed. Dollhouse was a bad idea. Uh, Dollhouse uh, was a series he created for Eliza Dushku, who of course played Faith in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was a big breakout role for her, even though of course she'd already been quite famous from being in things like True Lies. Um, well, like Exotica and movies and stuff. She wasn't in Exotica. Wasn't that her? I think I think of Mia Kirshner. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, but uh, in any case, it, it was supposed to be this big acting showcase for her. And it took place uh, in a world where there is a secret uh, uh, mm-hmm. institution business where people volunteer to have their minds erased and then have different personalities loaded into their minds for the purposes of things like Secret missions so they can go undercover and be entirely undercover. And doesn't that sound interesting? Uh, If you're an actor, absolutely. Indeed, there's a lot of very, very good actors who I'm completely unfamiliar with. And then I saw how versatile, like, they could be in Dollhouse. And I'm like, wow, how is, I think his name was Enver Jokadj. How is that guy not a big actor? He's really talented. I'm like, wow, okay, cool. Problem is, they're also, against their will, uh, uh... being like abused sexually what? and just being like, yeah, okay, so now we're just going to be the this politician's kinky hookup and be everything he wants in a woman. And okay. that's weird and it really takes away a lot of the... Uh, that's like it, a sort of a, a porn fantasy. Yeah, and it's... And it like never, flavor to it. And it doesn't really reckon with the victimization of those characters. The other problem is that the protagonist of the series, played by Eliza Dushku, for the first season, literally has no personality of her own. Hmm. That's, well, that's, that's, that's the plot. The premise of the show. Yeah. But you can't have like a narrative through line if the protagonist is someone whose personality changes literally every episode and there's no through line. And it wasn't until the end of season one that we realized that she was special. She was distinct within this dollhouse. 
in that she was actually starting to retain memories from every download she ever had oh. and starting to pick up skills that she wasn't supposed to have or uh, learning yeah, so or developing like, her own new personality that, that, that might even conflict with her original personality. Now there's stories back at home base yeah. beyond the spy story. If Dollhouse was ever going to work, and I'm not convinced it could because I think it's a very, 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 very flawed premise. They needed to, like, where they were at the end of season one and beginning of season two, that should have been where they started. Mm-hmm. Because the first season is a mess and kind of a waste of time and morally gross. And only in the second season did they even start really in earnest to wrestle with the ramifications of it, what this technology would actually be capable of beyond things like kinky sex mm-hmm. and shooting people. Like uh, it's it's, a, it's it's a messy, not good show, but there the, are good elements in it, and the cast was great. There's a movie in drive-ins right now, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, called Possessor, which sounds go. really similar. See that instead. Okay. <laughs> that that one was yeah. good. Dollhouse, Dollhouse. I haven't rewatched it in a long, long, long time, but it was even at the time like this is weird and doesn't work. And mm. I wanted to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but looking back now, I don't think it was warranted. Mm. Um, I, I think it was a it was a mess of a show. Um, poorly conceived, poorly developed. Some good bits here and there, but not worth getting to. Um, I haven't revisited the whole thing in a while. Don't really feel like it. Really. <laughs> Doesn't really oh, seem yeah. like a good time. Um, I've and as as uh, as the good doctor pointed out, I'm kind, I'm not really on board with Joss Whedon. I never mm. really have been. Yeah, uh, it's not your I, jam. You know, he wasn't my jam. I, I said so when it was unpopular to do so, and yeah. now it's popular to say so. So I'm okay mm-hmm. now. Um, but uh, yeah, there, so I really don't really have anything moving me toward something like Dollhouse. Yeah. And now that I've seen Possessor, I don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Possessor yet. I hear it's good. So yeah, I can't can't comment on Dollhouse. Although it does sound like uh, I think Joss Whedon is very fond of actors. His actors, oh, yeah. he, he admires them a lot. He likes to let uh, him play. He likes mm-hmm. to let him have like just fun dialogue scenes mm-hmm. and reveal bits of character. I think that's Joss Whedon's best characteristic is that he works well with actors. I think he works. I think he works well with actors. Mm-hmm. I think he sometimes he whiffs it completely, but. Um, most of the time, he's pretty good about giving actors exciting material to work with, allowing them to be funny and appealing while also dealing with serious emotional issues mm-hmm. that are handled in a relatively genuine way, especially for genre TV, horror stuff, action mm-hmm. stuff, etc. So, uh, so there's good I, stuff I think, there, but so it, there's it also seems, a lot of yeah, stuff that has long since gone unexamined and just, is it, overdue for it. it. It seems to me like he was trying to make a show for actors. An, an, oh, yeah, an, an, an acting-driven that, that was a stated purpose. It was, yeah. let's give Eliza Dushku something that she can, like, really sink her teeth into every single week. Problem is that the premise and the this, the implementation of that premise was creepy as fuck <laughs> and unfortunately led to the series feeling very aimless. Uh. It's like, imagine every single... Like, it's, like, it's like MacGyver. Every single week mm. it's a new mission, except every single week MacGyver, all of the, the stakes mm. and everything he learned from the last weeks is gone. And now he's a completely different guy. Mm. And then next week he'll be a completely different well, guy. What was... Uh, it doesn't work. I can't remember the title. What? what? The spy show we covered on Council Too Soon, where they recruited... A, was it called the... Not the Strangers. They just recruited what? a group of citizens to go oh, on the spy Oh, a masquerade. Missions. Masquerade. Masquerade, uh, was, masquerade was different because that was actually different characters. This was just yeah. erasing someone's memory every week. And that's kind but of what that is. But it, it seems like it would be that, that sort of thing. It's like well, we have somebody kind of uninitiated going on a spy mission every mm-hmm. week. 
And you have a case of the week. Well, Masquerade, if you didn't see our epi- or listen to our episode about Masquerade, which is a very fun, um, not amazing, but fun spy series from the 1980s. And the great premise, theme song. Great theme song, fun cast. Uh, and the idea was uh, it, the CIA or some fictional equivalent uh, needs to recruit spies, but it needs to recruit spies that can't be like, turned to the other side. It can't get career spies. Mm. So they come up with an idea where instead of training spies all the time in new skills, every time we have a job that requires certain skills, we recruit a civilian mm. to come in for one job. And that would be the that would be the idea. And so every week there would be a job that had a bunch of different moving parts. This week we need uh, a professional actor, a professional makeup artist, a professional window washer, and a professional baseball player. Mm. And that, for some reason, that was the gag. And so they had to come up with something for all of them to do. And every single week, except for the leads, and it was... Um, uh, who was the main guy? Was It, it wasn't Robert Culp. Was it... Um, um, oh. Robert, R- Robert Vaughn? Robert, it was. It was Robert, Robert Vaughn. Vaughn. Yeah. It was Robert Vaughn and Kirstie Alley and some guy whose name I forget. Mm. And they were just in charge of the group. But every week, the fun thing was, it would be a new ensemble of recognizable actors. Mm-hmm. So, like, the first episode had, like, Oliver Reed and Sybil Shepard and, um, like, a whole bunch of recognizable faces. Mm-hmm. And that would the idea was every mm-hmm. week it would be a whole bunch of recognizable character actors or famous people. And they just get to do one fun spy thing and then fuck right off. Yeah. That's different than Dollhouse where every single week those same people mm-hmm. are just going to pretend to be different people. And they have no personality. And so there's nothing to cling to every week. Mm-hmm. And then the only people whose personalities don't change every week are the creepy people who are changing their minds all the time and giving them away to creepy people. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dollhouse, weird show. Uh, thank you, everybody, for writing in. Yeah. Really, really appreciate it. Of course, if you want to write in yourself, if you haven't already, or you just want to write in again, the email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We would love to hear from you. We're open books. Just we'll read as many as we can. We can't mm-hmm. get to all of them, but we try. And, um, of course, if you would prefer to communicate with us another way, uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. Uh, We also uh, have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. You can leave comments on our various episodes there. We have a ton of Patreon-exclusive content over there. Um, And we have a message system over there as well. There's a lot of ways to communicate with us if you really want to. And... um, um, yeah, and next week we'll have more We've Got Mail. We're back on track with uh, Cancel Too Soon and Episode Zero. We've got one more episode of Episode Zero left before we change the topic from Star Wars to another pop culture phenomenon. It's a really interesting choice. It's all Whitney's idea. <laughs> Thank you. I for can't wait to delve. To do it, yeah. Can't wait to delve into it. Um, so we're looking at the prehistory of pop culture phenomena there, and that's going to be really exciting. Uh, Cancel Too Soon, we're in the middle of Scary Tober. So we just did an episode about Weird World, which was an attempt to do a uh, narrative sci-fi series on Fox, but from the creators of Tales from the Crypt, so it had that vibe. And uh, next week we're doing The Ghostbusters, uh, the 1975 series that predates Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters, and it's totally different and it's very silly. And if you've never heard of it or if you've never seen it, you're going to have to listen to the episode (laughs) because that show is weird. Um, With Larry Storch. uh, That's... It's unbelievably stupid. 
It may be the new stupidest show we've ever yeah, done. Yeah. We did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids. Hmm. We the did Draft Pack. Like, it's that it's, it's in that, school, that stupid. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we got that going on as well. And uh, a whole bunch of other things besides. Um, so thank you again. Thank you, everybody. Uh, we hope you're staying safe. We hope you're staying sane. We hope uh, that, again, if you... Hopefully you you already have plans, but if not, make sure you vote. It's really yeah. important. It's really mm. important. Maybe going, it's, maybe it's to, never been more important. If you're going to vote early, make sure you're doing it correctly. Yep. If you're here in California, make sure it's not a counterfeit voter box. That's a thing they try yeah, there, to there's do. There's all kinds of horrendous uh, like repression things going yeah. on. So yeah, make be careful. Be careful. Be make careful. Sure but make do sure it. your yeah. signature matches your driver's license. Mm-hmm. Because they actually usually they don't check. This time they do, and they could invalidate your vote if it looks like a counter. If it looks like the wrong thing, yeah. so don't just do a squiggle. Make sure you wrote down whatever you actually wrote down. I know for some people that's weird, but that's the way it's supposed mm. to work. Um, and uh, anyway, so yes, please vote. Please be conscious of what's going on in the world right now. It's difficult. I know. Take time for yourself. Okay, mental health. Take care of yourself. We care about you very, very, very much, and we are grateful that you allow us to entertain you and to talk about the things that we love, uh, because apparently you at least like some of them as well. So thank you again, and sincerely yours, Babes and Whitney. <laughs>